Thanks for checking out the second season of Crime Beat. I need to take a minute here to thank our sponsor, the La Mirada Theater for the Performing Arts. I've seen shows there several times, and it's a great night out. This season is no exception. They have a new play, Roald Dahl's Matilda the Musical. There will be more details and a discount code later in this episode. So thank you to the La Mirada Theater for the Performing Arts, and here's Crime Beat. Some of the descriptions, details, and language in this podcast may not be suitable for all audiences. A human body begins to decompose four minutes after death. It's a process called self-digestion. Membranes release enzymes that begin eating cells from the inside out. The cells begin to dissolve, blister, and rupture. Between 24 and 72 hours after death, the muscles become rigid. Organs and soft tissue begin to liquefy. Between three and five days after death, blood foam seeps from the mouth. Gases accumulate and the body expands. After a week, the skin tone begins to fade into an almost indescribable shade of green. Kathy Torres had been missing about seven days when Placentia police officer Steve Toth noticed something out of the corner of his eye. It was about 1 a.m. on February 19, 1994. In the slick, rainy stillness of a Friday night into a Saturday morning, Toth was on his regular patrol heading down Rose Drive when he saw something that shouldn't have been there. What was about to happen would be devastating to Mary Bennett, Kathy's mother. Well, I wanted to know who had, uh, why. Why? Why, and, and, and um, I remember that uh, uh, my son would say, because I think that after they found her, I don't think I was sleeping or eating, and that, and he'd say, Mom, he says, you gotta take care of yourself, you know, because you're gonna get sick, and, and, and I said, oh no, I'm gonna get sick. He said, because you see, anger's going to keep me going. I'm going to keep going. I'm going to make it. But it wasn't going to crush me because, you see, someone had had taken my baby. Someone had done something horrible. And, and uh, I had to find out. I'm Keith Sharon, a reporter with the Southern California News Group. In 1994, Kathy Torres, a student at Cal State Fullerton, never came home after working a Saturday night shift in the photo department at Savon. In this podcast, I'm going to look at just how cold a case can get. I'm going to tell you about Mary Bennett, her family, Darren Wyatt, and their extraordinary two-plus-decade pursuit of justice. This is Crime Beat, Season 2, Episode 5, Find the Car. On the last normal night of her life, Mary Bennett fell asleep without hearing her daughter come in. She had raised four kids in that house on Walnut Street, the youngest of which had just become a teenager. Kathy had always been the one Mary wouldn't worry about. Kathy had always taken care of herself. If Kathy wasn't home, she was on her way. She had a good reason. But on this morning, Sunday morning, February 13, 1994, Kathy was not in her bed. And her burgundy Toyota wasn't in the driveway. Mary's first thought was that Kathy must have spent the night with Gabby Galvan. 
Sometimes, when Kathy and Gabby got to talking, they could lose track of time. Maybe Kathy had come home late and got up early to go visit Albert Rangel at the hospital. Remember, Albert was Kathy's current boyfriend, who'd been found hanging from the rafters of the warehouse where he worked six days earlier. He was in a coma. Maybe she was meeting someone for Sunday brunch. Here's Mary talking with me and Kathy's sister, Tina, about her first inklings that something was wrong. At first I go, well, maybe she's with Gabby or mm-hmm. with one of her friends. And, uh, but it was kind of unusual because, like I said, she never did that like that. And then I started to, I remember if I told you first, and, and then we started to call some of her friends. Did you think the worst right away, or was this, right away, oh, let's, let's go, let's just find her? Was it right away, no, not the worst, but he knew it wasn't, it something's was, wrong. something's wrong, but not what happened. Okay, okay. Just after noon, Mary called Savon, and Kathy had not come to work. So Mary and Tina started calling Kathy's friends. When her friends said they hadn't seen her, Mary wanted to check. Maybe Kathy had gotten drunk, stayed out too late, and was sleeping it off at one of her friends' houses. Maybe her friends were covering for her. On that first afternoon Kathy was missing, Mary loaded her 13-year-old daughter, Debbie, into the car and started driving to the homes of all of Kathy's friends. They were looking for Kathy's car. Mary kept repeating, when we find the car, we'll find Kathy. This isn't right, you know, wait a minute, there's too much going on with the Albert, you know, and for her not to respond because she knows that we're all going to be worried. So that kind of bothered me and I kept telling my mom, well, who, did you call this person? And I would try too, but I didn't have it. Back then there were no cell phones. Right. So it was she really hard. No. So oh, it was so really hard. Yeah, so it was really hard. And people that we were trying to get a hold of on a Sunday, you know, afternoon, late afternoon, it was hard because, you know, we didn't want to call the hospital. We didn't want to disturb Albert's family. We didn't know if they were going to worry. You know, if we told them, have you seen Kathy? Did she show right. up? So she could have been at the at hospital. The hospital. Exactly. She could have been in the cafeteria. Right, right. Because there's no cell Because phones. she's upset or exactly. whatever. Exactly. Or what if she's sitting in the parking lot just crying her right, head out? Right, right, right. And then fell asleep because she's been exhausted. I don't right, know. Right. Let me tell you about one more memory Mary had from that first horrible day. During her effort to call all of Kathy's friends, she remembers glancing out the window across the street. She remembers seeing Sam Lopez's white Ford truck. She didn't call Sam because she assumed he was home and Kathy's car wasn't there, so she couldn't be with him. That was her first thought of Sam in connection with her daughter's disappearance. Sunday turned to Monday. And Monday, February 14, 1994, was Valentine's Day. It was the first day Kathy Torres' story went from Kathy might be out with her friends to worst-case scenario. The moment all the horror clicked for Mary Bennett was when she went in Kathy's room on that first Monday morning and her school books were still there. Kathy would never miss a college class. Mary decided to call the police. She asked for John Armstrong, the officer who had helped Kathy with her college report on street gangs. Armstrong wasn't working that day. The police officer who answered the phone told her to relax. Kathy was 20 years old. She was probably out with friends. She'd probably be home soon. 
Mary was trying to convince police Kathy wasn't the typical 20-year-old. Because I wanted people that knew Kathy, that knew that that was not like her. The police finally sent out a representative to take the first report later that Monday afternoon. Tina didn't wait for police. She started making flyers. At the top, in italic font, she printed the word missing. Tina used a smiling picture of Kathy in hoop earrings and a sleeveless shirt. The flyer said, name, Kathy Torres, age, 20, hair color, dark brown, height, 4 feet 10 inches, vehicle make, Toyota, model, Corolla, color, burgundy, license number, 2RMC7HS. Tina printed copies of the flyer and took them to the place she thought most people would see them, Cal State Fullerton. But she ran into a problem. Yes, they have a rule there. You have to get your flyer. You can't post things up at Cal or on the campus. You can't just post what, whatever you want. You have to go through the student service building and you have to get an approval. That's why um, they have stamps that says approved and the date. So. And you did that? Well, I was stopped from putting on my flyers, so then I ran to that office, and they gave me a hard time, and I really had to plea and make a... I didn't know how I did it, but I, I, I was so upset with them that they were doing this, and I, I even... I felt like I was defending someone who wasn't there because I was defending Kathy because I told them she's a student. I couldn't use anything other than she is a student here because in my mind she's missing and we need to find her. And time is of the essence right, right. now. Because you're thinking first 48 hours exactly. everyone knows. Exactly. And as much as possible get her picture out there and the information you know that we needed to. And so I had to basically... Um, I got to the point where the person there that, that, was, help, that was receiving me um, wasn't, I could tell they weren't going to let me do it and I, and they wanted me to wait until, and leave all my flyers that I had so that they could be stamped. And at that point, that's when I broke and I basically just begged them that, that this needed to be done. And I begged them to let me put up our flyers. I said, because something's wrong. And I didn't know what, and I told them again, she is not here and we need to find her. That's all I could say to them. And I don't know how I did it. But, they, but they let you. Mm-hmm. And that's Monday. Yeah. In the earliest moments of her daughter's disappearance, Mary Bennett knew she would need help to find her. She would need the media. The problem was that most of the media wasn't interested in a story about a 20-year-old student who didn't come home on a Saturday night. I tried to, I wanted to get the attendance, to get it in the paper. And I called, I called the register, called the Times, and, and nobody would listen. You know, because so were you talking to an, you were talking to editors? I was paper. talking, yes. And, and, and what were they saying? What was the argument? Well, you know, we don't know, and, and right. yeah, she's 20 years old, so... Right. And, if you would have called me at that time, I would have said, do you have a police report? And, um, is there a missing person? You know, what documentation do no, you have? No, they didn't, they didn't go into that. Oh, okay. And, and we, already had, we already had a police report, and... and uh, it wasn't until, so you reach out to different people because nobody would listen. The, no, the media wouldn't listen. Nobody would listen. One newspaper listened. The Daily Titan, the school newspaper at Cal State Fullerton. The reporter's name was Jeff Ponce. 
what helped um, the momentum was, and to get more people to, to pay attention was because he called the police station. Yeah. Right. And then he we started asking questions. Exactly. And because he came and he talked to my mom and to me and, and we talked to him and then um, she gave an interview. And then from there, he started making phone calls. Jeff Ponce did a good job. He contacted a teacher at Valencia High School who told him that Kathy Torres wasn't the kind of girl to stay out all night or take off from home for a couple of days. Chuck Henry of NBC News was the first television reporter to show up at Mary Bennett's house. After a slow start, the media became engaged. The word started to get out. The most important thing that happened on that Valentine's Day didn't have to do with the media or the police. It had to do with Sam Lopez. Mary Bennett made her first attempt to reach Sam. From her phone, she dialed Sam's pager number. If you don't remember how pagers worked, Mary then had to dial her return number, which Sam would, in a perfect world, call back. But Sam didn't return the call. The problem was we couldn't get one individual to respond. We couldn't get Sam to, to, because I went to look for him. Okay. And I wanted to ask him, okay. you know, what he knew or what he could tell me. Remember, Kathy had told Tina that Sam had asked her to run off to Mexico the same week that she disappeared. Tina thought Sam might know something about what happened to her. As word started to get out about Kathy's disappearance, Mary's house was overrun by people who wanted to help. Relatives, friends, acquaintances, strangers. They wanted to search. They wanted to hand out flyers. They wanted to offer emotional support. There was a steady stream of people coming down Walnut Street. From across the street, Sam must have seen all the commotion. Yet, he didn't come over on that Monday or Tuesday. He didn't return Mary's page. After a day of searching, Claudia Ruiz, one of Kathy's cousins, left the house on Walnut Street in tears. She was a mess. As she walked away from Mary's house, she noticed Sam Lopez sitting on the porch across the street. She had known Sam in high school. She had been friendly with him. As she sobbed, she passed within a couple of feet of Sam. He stared at her as she passed. He didn't say a word. By now, searches were being organized all over Placentia. Mary kept repeating, if we find the car, we'll find Kathy. After 48 hours of frustration, Tina said, enough. She asked her husband Armando to take her to see Sam. Armando drove her to Tahiti Cabinets, the shop where Sam worked. It was Wednesday. They wouldn't let me go to the back because I wanted to go right in. And they made me wait at the reception area. And then so the only place, private place we could talk was a hallway. Okay. And so he was up against the wall and he was just leaning there like it was no big deal. And then I knew that he knew that we were looking for Kathy because Armando told him, you know, that we were looking for him. And he was just standing there like there was... And what'd you say? And I said, tell me what you know. Tell me uh, what was the last time you saw Kathy. And he's like, oh, I don't know. Talked to her during the week. And he just kept going around and around in circles. And I said, just give me a straight answer. What do you know? And then the thing that... Yeah, and he wouldn't give me a straight answer. He kept going off in different directions. Well, did you check with so-and-so? Well, maybe she went with her friend so-and-so. And I, he was going all these different places. And he wouldn't just answer me when I asked him, one, when's the last time you talked to her? Right. And what did she say? 
and he he couldn't answer that. Those two questions. He, exactly, and so those were, yeah, those two questions, and then so he was taking me everywhere but where we needed to be, and then because I remember standing there and, and looking at him, and that he wouldn't look at me, right. and I was, you know, I knew people were passing by the hallway, so I didn't want to raise my voice too high, but I, like, almost was going, like, I felt like I wanted to get him, and shake him and slap him because he wouldn't look. But you didn't. But I didn't. Right. But I wanted you, to You were holding yourself I back. I was holding myself back because I felt if I, if I lost it, like I didn't want to get, I didn't want to cry because during that week I was crying already. Right. Prior to see, seeing him, finding him and catching him at his workplace, I was already crying more than you can imagine. Right. Okay. And so. so you were determined, I'm not going to cry. And I'm not going to grab it. Right. Well, because I didn't want to lose, I didn't right. want to lose myself there, you know. Okay. Before Tina left that afternoon, she pushed and pushed Sam for information. He gave her an address in Anaheim. He said Kathy might be there. It was the home of a friend Kathy had known in high school. Armando and Tina drove there after work that day, and neither Kathy nor her car were there. Here's the special Matilda discount. Buy one Matilda ticket, get one free. Enter promo code HONEYBOGO, H-O-N-E-Y-B-O-G-O. You must enter the code before selecting your seats. Don't miss the Tony Award-winning musical, Matilda. Packed with high-energy dance numbers, catchy songs, and a gifted young actress. Matilda, October 25th through November 17th. Tickets at LaMaradaTheater.com. Marty said the gravity of the situation didn't hit him until Wednesday of the week Kathy was missing. In February of 1994, he was a student at Fullerton College. I mean, I was in college when this happened with Kathy. Um, I was too busy trying to figure out how to be a student again. And it took me a few days to realize, like, hey, wait a minute, like, my sister's missing. Because I was too busy literally trying to figure out college. Because it was unlike at high school, you get to come and go as you please. There's a whole lot of things relying on you. And I remember being in one day in, a, in my math class, and I sat there and I told my teacher, I literally just got up and go, I have to leave. She goes, what's wrong? And I goes, my sister's missing. And I just walked out of class because it hit me. Debbie Torres can't forget that week. I remember everything. I remember the moment that my mom woke me up on that Sunday morning to tell me she hadn't come home. And in my mind, I was like, what? what do you mean she didn't come home? I was just so shocked. Uh, um, so I, I remember everything very, and then I remember the following, so the Sunday morning when my mom woke me up, I remember the next day was Monday and it was Valentine's Day. I, I just remember everything about, there's nothing, I don't know what age I'll get to when I don't remember that week vividly about what happened every single day of that week. It's just I couldn't tell you very well what happened last week or what I ate for lunch or what I, you know, but I can remember those seven days. It's it's frozen in your mind. It's frozen in your mind. Debbie kept hoping that everything would be okay. You know, you're still small and your mind is trying to process things. So I remember at that time thinking, um, in my mind, hopeful that she was going to just appear immediately. I thought, how embarrassing that we're using her picture to put, like, in my mind, because I kept thinking... So she's going to appear. Like, I don't know. I just could not fathom in my little mind 
that that something horrible had happened. Right. In my mind, I just kept thinking, I don't know where, but some somehow she's gonna. She's come gonna home. walk in. I always thought she'd walk into the back door. As the hours passed, the Torres family began organizing search parties. Maps were spread out on the kitchen table. Teams of friends and relatives were given assignments. These teams would walk the streets of Placentia, handing out flyers and looking for any sign of Kathy or her car. And while the searches were going on, the Placentia police conducted their first interview with Sam Lopez. Here's a tape of their first contact with Sam while Kathy was missing. Detectives Gary Legalbo and Bob Jenkins knocked on Sam's front door. My name is Gary Legalbo. This is my partner, Bob Jenkins. My name is Placentia Police. We're part of the Let's back up a little. In 1994, Gary Legalbo was a plainclothes detective in the Special Enforcement Unit. His focus was drugs. He bought drugs, busted dealers, and seized their assets. He worked in vice and narcotics and helped out with gang crimes. His unit would also support the investigative division on cases where they might need the work of plainclothes detectives. Policing wasn't Gary's first career. He had studied to be an engineer, and he had managed a movie theater. Gary remembers being in Lieutenant Bob Jones's office in the Detective Bureau in February of 1994 when Corrine Loomis, who handled missing persons cases, started talking about Kathy Torres. And she was running the case by him because she thought there were some peculiar things that it wasn't just a, quote, missing person. There may be something more to it. And as we listen, as Bob Jones and I listened to her and my partner Robert Jenkins listened to her describe Kathy Torres's background and past and the circumstances surrounding her going missing and when she became missing, we just got a really bad feeling about it. And uh, Bob Jenkins and I asked the lieutenant at the time, hey, can we run with this a little bit and see what we can dig up? This doesn't sound good. The first thing Legalbo and Jenkins did was go to Walnut Street. And we went out and looked in Kathy's room. They gave us permission because we wanted to see, is there any indication that she may have packed up to leave? So we were looking in her room to see if there was any evidence that she had cleared out some clothes or taken anything. And we had her, I think we remember had her mom, Mary, in there with us. Describe it. What did it look like? She was 20 years old at the time and a college student. I guess for lack of a better term, and it was probably a 20-year-old's room. I mean, I remember there was a desk in there. Um, an old, it was an older wooden desk, very nice, a bed. Um, wasn't the messiest room in the world, wasn't the cleanest room in the world, you know. There were clothes in places, there was jewelry and papers. Um, there might have been some school books on the desk. I don't remember the details anymore, but it was just a room that wasn't ready for a catalog picture, but it certainly didn't have filth in it. I don't know how else to describe it. They checked the bathroom she shared with her siblings, and Kathy's toothbrush was there. They found no evidence that Kathy had packed up to leave. Mary told them Kathy had been upset the previous week after her new boyfriend had been found hanging. She was very distraught about that, and so we started thinking, well, gee, could she have gone somewhere to commit suicide? Gary talked to Kathy's family, and the consensus was that Kathy didn't appear to be suicidal. That's when the conversation shifted. That's when Sam's name came up. 
they decided to walk across the street to talk to Sam. The interview lasted just less than 30 minutes. I won't play much of it because the sound quality is so bad. What struck me, listening almost 25 years later, is that the issue of Kathy being missing doesn't come up until the last two minutes of questioning. At that time, the city was crawling with dozens of people looking for Kathy Torres. Sam talked about Kathy asking him for weed. He talked about his theory that she had mentioned her new boyfriend, Albert, just as an attempt to make Sam jealous. And they spent most of that initial conversation talking about the night Kathy's tires were slashed. Sam's attitude was defensive. He didn't sound like someone concerned about the whereabouts of his longtime girlfriend. I'm awkward. I'm trying to find my thoughts. I've had flyers at my grocery store. I've had flyers everywhere. Yeah, we don't know if there's a problem, but uh, we just want to find it. It's a little bit Yeah, exactly. Like somebody yeah, we need all the help we can get. I'm so Right now, this is not the time to to be say, well, you were with her, or, or you were, or you were not seeing her. Okay, this is time to look for her. Gary and Bob left their meeting with Sam with the same opinion. They looked quizzically at each other. We left that, that initial interview with him and got to the car we both knew something wasn't right and the hair was standing up on the back of our necks. What do you, what was it about his demeanor or something he said? Do you remember, like, what, was there a statement he made that just didn't fit or? Given the way he described their relationship, the fact that she was missing did not cause any emotional response in him at all. He was flat. He was flat emotionally. And as we tried to delve into more details that you would think the boyfriend of the woman would you know, would know about, um, he was very, I guess, unconcerned. Um, he didn't have details you'd expect him to have. He was a bit, in my opinion, dismissive. And it just didn't make sense. Here's someone who should have been worried sick, going, oh my God, she's missing. You know, what do we do? How can I help? Let me start calling our friends, see if anyone's seen her. You know, all that type of stuff. There was just none of that. Friday night, February 18th, 1994. It was pouring rain in Placentia. We did this canvassing, looking. Remember, Handing out uh, flyers. We were at our house, like a bunch of people came to our house. We're going to go look for her. We're looking for the car. That's what we were doing. Let's look for her car. Obviously, we didn't know. Mondo was there. Tina's husband, of course. And, um, and like I said, Channel 4 had, should have the footage. And I remember we're all there in our kitchen. And it looks just like the search, massive search party. It's pouring rain. And um, we had the map out. And I don't know who was. You're going down these streets and you go down these streets. I don't know who was with me. Or who I was with, I don't remember that, but I remember my street was to be Rose Drive. Marty said the rain was so hard and thick that he couldn't see the Rose Drive sign. He missed his turn. He didn't search Rose Drive. 
Sitting at the corner of Rose Drive and Yorba Linda Boulevard is the Placentia Linda Hospital. More specifically, it's the wing of the hospital that houses the emergency room. Just outside the emergency room doors is a large parking lot. And just across the parking lot is a medical building that contained doctor's offices. I'll let former police detective Darren Wyatt pick up the story. He's standing with me in that parking lot as he talks. It's a rainy February night. It was uh, February 19th, uh, about uh, 1 o'clock in the morning, and Steve Toth was a patrol sergeant. He's driving down um, Rose Drive, and he looks over, and he sees a, a maroon Corolla sitting here. Uh, at that point, the hospital is open. It's a 24-hour emergency room, but the medical building is closed. Uh, so, is that the uh, is that the emergency room same? The emergency room is still in the same location, but it is it appears different now than what it did. That bay there is all new construction. And was his mindset like Kathy Torres was top of the news, missing person, and he's thinking, is there? A, does he go to work that day thinking? There might be a red Toyota when I'm driving around? You know, I don't think so. Oh. Uh, I think that people had been looking for the car for a week, hadn't seen it. So that became a question. It had been here for a week in this public area. It had been all over the news. How come somebody hadn't seen it? How come somebody hadn't called? We spoke with a doctor who, who usually parked in this spot right here who said, yeah, the car's been there since at least Monday when I came to work. But nobody had called. Nobody put two and two together. Right? Until, and why do you think he did? I think he just saw a car sitting here on its own, so he came in, uh, drove in behind the car, saw something unusual. There was a plastic bag sticking out of the trunk, and it appeared to be blood stains. Then he sees the license plate and verifies that it's Kathy's car. Here's what we've got. After a week of searching, a police officer finds Kathy's car in one of the busiest places in the city, a parking lot at the Placentia Linda Hospital, in plain sight. At 3 a.m., Mary Bennett's phone rang. Think about it. That could have been good news. What if it was Kathy announcing that she'd been in Las Vegas for a week with her friends? The call was from the Placentia police. They wanted to know if Mary had a key to Kathy's car. Mary said yes, she had an extra key. But why? The caller said Officer Tom Valentine would be knocking on Mary's door any second to pick up the key. And I said, why did you find the car? And then they said, no, but in case we, we see it, you know, you know, whatever. And so when he came, he, he did. I think I hung up the phone when I heard him knocking. So, so they didn't tell you anything no. still? And he came and, and I asked him if they had found Kathy's car. And he said, uh, he said he didn't know that all he was told was to come and, and pick up the key. But if I remember correctly, he, I remember seeing him that he just, he just looked straight and just asked for the key. And you key. knew him? And I, 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 knew, I knew of him and I knew him, yes. Here's what they weren't telling Mary. The car wasn't the only discovery the police made that night. Next time on Mom vs. Murderer, Probable Cause, when Kathy's body was discovered, police brought in Sam Lopez for questioning. They gave him a lie detector test. They didn't believe his story, but he appeared to have a solid alibi. Crime Beat, Season 2, was produced by the Southern California News Group. The executive editor was Frank Pine. 
The senior editor was Todd Harmonson. Audio editing, mixing, and music by Kevin Sablon. Field recording and videos by Jeff Gritchen. Graphics by Kurt Snibby. And I want to give special thanks to podcasters who inspired this work. Amy Wilson and Amber Hunt on Accused. Sarah Koenig on Serial. Brian Reed on S-Town. Chris Gofford on Dirty John. Madeline Barron on In the Dark. Nate DeMeo on The Memory Palace. And Phoebe Judge on Criminal. The best way you can support this podcast is to give us high ratings, write great reviews, and tell your friends to check out our work. Also, you can listen to Crime Beat Season 1, Stealing Nixon's Millions. That story was the inspiration behind the 2019 movie Finding Steve McQueen, starring Forrest Whitaker, Travis Fimmel, Rachel Taylor, and William Fickner. Thanks for listening. Thank you again to our new sponsor, the La Mirada Theater for the Performing Arts. Remember, when you buy one Matilda ticket, you get one free by using promo code HONEYBOGO, H-O-N-E-Y-B-O-G-O. You must enter the code before selecting your seats.